morning, Grace Point. Great to see you. Good morning to all of you joining us online. Glad you're joining us. Uh, I want to begin with just one other quick announcement. Um, beginning here in a couple of weeks, Pastor Aaron will be going on a sabbatical for a, a couple months. So just so you're aware that's going on, and you can be in prayer for him, that that would be a very meaningful spiritual time for him, and that he'd have a great time of rest and, and restoration and, and hearing from God. So over the next few months, as you think of Pastor Aaron, just uh, lift him up in prayer. Pray that God's moving mightily in his life. Um, all right, on to the message. Do you ever get to a point in your life where you think, now what? Am I the only one that does that? You get to these points in life where you, you go, oh, I don't know what to do next. Um, oftentimes when you're graduating from high school or graduating from college, you go through a definite season of now what? What do I do next? Uh, where do I go? What decisions do I make? What's the right path for me? Frequently, uh, uh, you raise your kids. I've been through this. And you watch them leave and one by one. And pretty soon you're empty nesters again. You go, now what? We're back to where we began, and life has a definite, uh, different uh, hue to it. Or, or, or careers. I, I, how many of you have changed jobs ever? Anybody? I mean, this is the longest I've ever been in one job, 14 years. I've changed jobs a lot in my life. And every time you get to that point, you go, now what do I do? And where's my next step? And what lies ahead for me? Uh, frequently, when someone gets to the end of their career, and they've worked maybe 50, 60 years, they, they, they go into this phase where they, it's called uh, re- retiring or whatever. And they think, who am I? I've been identified for the last five decades by what I do. Now what, what identifies me? Now, now what's next? The disciples of Jesus ran into this now what question. Um, think about the change that they went through. You got the triumphal entry, right? And it, it, ah, crowds are going crazy, right? Everybody's just higher than high. And then just a week later, what happens? The crucifixion. It's the low of lows. And they're going through this emotional roller coaster. And it reminds me a little bit of March Madness. Anybody watch March Madness? Yeah. I don't watch it as much anymore, but I watch some of it. Especially when uh, the Iowa girls got in there. I was kind of rooting for them heavily. But at any rate, I root for SDSU too, of course. Just, yeah, yeah, they want you to know that, all right? So nobody says anything to me. But, um, but, you know, it's interesting. One thing I've noticed is when a team wins a game, they now know how to celebrate. They go crazy celebrating. It's just, ah, oh, everyone's ecstatic. They're hugging and they're joyful tears and everything's getting kind of crazy. And then the next week, you know what happens? They lose. And then it's tears of sorrow. They're devastated. Towels are over the head. People are just stare like that. And of course, the camera zooms in because we want to enjoy their agony, right? So we're enjoying that agony and they're just crying. All the hopes and dreams have been dashed. You know, the problem with something like March Madness is there's one winner. Everybody else is what? A loser, right? And so you see a lot of agony and tears and, and celebration to tears. That's what I think happened here with the disciples. They went from celebration and a week later they went to the agony of tears and desperation wondering what's going to happen now? He's dead. But they were listening very close to Jesus. We have the story written out for us. So we can kind of skip through the bad parts and get right to the fun part. He's resurrected, right? He's resurrected. So they go back to the joy. Whoa! And then for 40 days After he's resurrected, he meets with his followers and he basically equips them and talks about and explains 
what's next? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to use that as, as kind of our text this morning. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 11, and we're going to answer the question, what now? We're to the end of our Easter Explained series. This is our last message in that series, and we're going to address the question, what now? So our big thought for this morning is simply this. The book of Acts begins with addressing a big question, now what? Now what? It's interesting to me that that's what's addressed, because the book of Acts is the history of the early church. Right? You understand that. It's nothing more than the history of the early church. And what does it begin with? What does the history of the church begin with? Now what? What are the disciples to do now that Christ has ascended and and sits in the right hand of the Father? And this now what question, I believe, is really relevant to us too. So everything we learn from this scripture will be relevant to our now what's that we face. So listen to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing this. He wrote the book of Luke too, okay? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. He's back to the Holy Spirit again. You getting this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky. Isn't that what you would do? I'd do that. I'd say, what in the world? As he was going, then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I think there are four things identified in this scripture that really address that question, now what? When we come to the now what's of our life, I think these are four things that set the proper perspective for whatever we're going through. And I want you to really grab a hold of them this morning. They were written to the disciples, but they're universal in application. They they apply to us, I think, today. First is this. Always be assured or reassured that Jesus is resurrected. Always, no matter what you're facing, be reassured that Jesus is resurrected. Always have that as a perspective-setting kind of filter that you do life through. Be reassured that Jesus is resurrected. Luke begins the history of the early church reassuring Theophilus, hey, Jesus has been resurrected. And this appearing, his resurrection, and this appearing happened over how many days? Forty? Well, that was no response at all, was it? 40 days it took place. It's interesting to me. I, I, I can't help it. I think like this. I'm a math guy at heart. So he starts his ministry with 40 days of testing in the desert. He's facing off the devil for 40 days. That begins his ministry. He ends his ministry how? 
with 40 days of testimony. So if you're a note taker, that's a note and you're a note taking guy. Jesus' ministry begins with 40 days of testing and ends with 40 days of testimony. There's something about 40 here that you read about a lot in the Bible. It's a time period where God tends to do something miraculous and mighty in the lives of people. It's like a amped up on steroids type interaction of God uh, with his creation. When we see this all over in the Bible, I mean, Noah gets on the boat. How, how long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. That was, that was a time of spiritual change happening on the world. God was bringing his judgment. And then you, you go right from him and you go to Jonah. And, and Jonah is sent by God to preach to the people of Nineveh. And he says, in 40 days, if you don't repent, in 40 days, you'll come under God's judgment. But they did repent. And they didn't come under God's judgment. So there was 40 days there of trial and testing for the people of Nineveh. And it was like God was amping up his spiritual interaction with the people. Sometimes the challenge is one of just simply testing. For 40 days, Goliath, the, the, the nine-foot Philistine, stood before the nation of Israel taunting them. Send someone to fight me. For 40 days he did this. For 40 days, the armies of Israel were under this kind of testing until Dave, David stepped up and took on the challenge and defeated Goliath. A 40-day challenge may also involved a vital meeting with God. Moses met with God for 40 days. And then it's interesting, if you look at Elijah, he met with God 40 days, Mount Horeb. I mean, there's just 40 all over the place. It just, it's, it's a number of significance. And I think God does everything on purpose and he wants us to understand. Jesus came back and he testified for 40 days. It's, it's, it's like he's giving us spiritual food. He's like amping up. He's equipping his disciples. He's teaching them about and explaining about what's next. What, what now do you do? And he did that for 40 days. It was a time of, of great illumination for the church and, and great understanding uh, for the church. So Jesus did the following during the 40 days of his testimony. A is this. He appeared to many presenting them with proofs that he had risen from the dead. He appeared to many presenting them with proofs that he had risen from the dead. At least 10 times we're told uh, that Jesus uh, uh, appeared to, to followers after he was resurrected. Um, and so let's look at the list of this and then we'll talk about what he talked with them about after that. So these are the people Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. First of all, it's Mary Magdalene. He appears to a woman. Secondly, Two people on the way to Emmaus. I'll talk about them in just a moment. Thirdly, he met with Peter. He appeared to Peter. Then he met with the disciples in the upper room without Thomas. And we know that story because Thomas doubted. He said, unless I see him touch his, put my finger in his wound and all that kind of stuff, I won't believe. Well, then Jesus appeared in the upper room once again with Thomas there and told him, believe. You've seen, now believe. Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And then we're told he appeared to the seven disciples while they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And then he appears to the disciples on a mountain in Galilee. And he appears to the disciples before his ascension at the Mount of Olives. At one point, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. That's a lot. That's, that's us right here. More, well, I imagine there's a little bit more than 500 here today. But you get what I'm saying, right? So he appeared to a crowd about this size at once. Now, tell you what. If Jesus appeared on this platform and I'm here, you would not listen to me anymore. What will you be looking at? I mean, there's a bunch of you. There's 500 of you seeing him at once. Wouldn't that be impactful? And then we're told he appeared to his brother James. And, and, and you know, he, he even appeared to, to his brother. So let's move on to how he interacted with these ones he appeared to. Jesus equipped his followers and explained the now what to them. That's what he did. 
He, he, he appeared to this, this couple of people on the road to Emmaus, and, and he, he opened up the Old Testament to them, and he explained how the Old Testament showed that the Messiah must come, he must suffer, he must die. He explained everything that happened to him to these guys. And then finally at the end, they, they, they realize who he is, and they look at each other and say, did not our heart burn within us as he was opening up the scriptures to us? You know, I mean, they just had this encounter with Christ, and because, oh, okay, you know, this is Jesus, this is who he is. He, he's explaining now, there's a spiritual kind of, accelerated growth happening in his followers. They begin to get, get an idea of what's really going on here. And then he gives his disciples a foretaste of the person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, we're told that he, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's, he's explaining things to them. He's saying, now what's going to happen is you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and your life's going to be entirely different. And then he, then he, he, he exhibited his, his omniscience in John chapter 21, telling the disciples uh, where to cast their net when they, you know, didn't have any fish. And they throw the net over and they get a, we're told, 153 fish. You know they're fishermen, right? Because they, they counted. Fishermen count. And so they had 153 fish. It was an amazing catch. Um, and then he uh, once again displayed this omniscience when, when he was talking to Peter and he said, you're going to be martyred for me. But John may not be. And, and, and he, was, he was displaying, I'm God. And you see, see what's happening is accelerated understanding of who he is by his followers. This 40 days is transformative in the lives of these people. And we, we who know the Bible, we would agree that the primary commandment that Jesus kept emphasizing that he gave to apostles and us is called the Great Commission. And he's telling them, go make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to do today, right, with seven people this very hour. And he said, teach them to preserve all things I have commanded you. You, you see what, this is like Christ on steroids here. He's telling them, get, in a, get, get going. This is the now what that you're supposed to do. Do these things. So now I want to move on to the second insight I see here from the scripture. Uh, what, what do we do when we're faced with the now What? I think this one's really, really good for me. I don't know about you, but man, this one. Be aware that God sets the agenda. Always be aware in your life, God sets the agenda. I'm going to say it one more time, and you can say amen to that. Be aware that God sets the agenda. He sets the agenda. Oftentimes in life, we're faced with a now what? I I, I know how I, I do. I want to set my own agenda. I want to figure it out. I, I want to plan. And usually it takes a little bit of abruptness or things happening where we go, wait a minute, I can't do this. I have to rely on you, God. That's what I'm supposed to do in this now what that I'm facing. And first and foremost, we're always to trust God no matter what we're facing. And remember that times and dates and agenda, that's under the control of the sovereign God. Disciples want to know when Jesus was uh, going to restore Israel. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates. That's for the Father that alone to, to know alone. And I can't help but wonder if they would have realized that Christ was going to ascend, if maybe their questioning would have changed just a little bit, right? Like, when you ascend into heaven, when are you coming back again? I think they probably would have asked him that question. Now, reflecting on Easter reminds us that God sets the agenda. He has purpose. He's working a plan. He's always in control, no matter what it looks like. And our response to whatever comes our direction in life has to be one of what? Trust and faith. We're going to trust God no matter what. And I find myself saying this frequently. I'm okay not knowing everything. I'm okay not even being okay at times. 
I just have to trust God in this thing. And I have to wait on him and see what he wants to do. And I have to quit trying to manipulate things to work out and just rest in God and trust God. In regards to Christ's return, there's a lot of clarity in the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, we're told this, but the day of the Lord, the day of his return, will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And then if you go to John, uh, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, I'm going to read verse 36 and then jump to verse 44. Here's what it says concerning Christ's return. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Have you ever heard of these prophecies where they say this is when Jesus is coming back? It can't be, right? Because what we just read, nobody knows but the Father. Can you read times and seasons and think, yeah, he's close, yeah. But do you know the day or hour of time? No, you don't know. You don't know. Therefore, you should also, you must, uh, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, let's go on to the third. What do you do when you're facing a now what in your life? This one, to me, is the most important point I'm going to make today. And I'm going to say unapologetically, I'm pretty passionate about what I'm going to share with you. But unlike Ben, I will remember to breathe as I'm speaking. I can't help that. was so funny. Uh, was that this hour that you did that? It was last week, but it wasn't this hour? No, they don't remember anyway. It doesn't matter. All right, so here's, here, this is super important. Whatever you're facing in life, embrace the spirit-led life. Embrace the spirit-led life. And expect, 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 expect to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Become a person of great embracing an expectation when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, because no one said a word to me. But we have a cross over here on the church. And we have what over here? Can you say it loud? Fire. I knew someone would say fire. It's a dove. So this is why I'm explaining it. Evidently, you know, it's going over somebody's, you know, yes, that's a dove, that's a cross. You could say that's fire too, if you want. That represents Christ and his atoning work on the cross, right? He paid the price for our sins. Over here, this represents this idea that now, as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit has come and lived right inside us and empowers us. When I was looking to be a pastor years ago, I was attracted to the Wesleyan church because they were very biblical in their orientation. And that was, that was like level one. They believe in the inerrancy and accuracy of the scriptures. I love the high regard we have as a denomination for transformation. That we really believe the Holy Spirit comes and changes a person's life. We really believe that he lives in you and empowers you to do that which you cannot do in your own flesh. It's, yeah, thank you, Amen. I, it's so, so important. That was so important to me. That was the, the main attraction thing that got me to finally say, I'm going to pursue ministry in, in this denomination. I, I have such a high regard for that. And biblically, I think there's a lot of basis for that, of course. Um, sometimes I think, ah, we don't do this on purpose. Christ, following Christ is almost reduced to this academic exercise. It's all about mind and knowing, which is nothing wrong with that, but it's incomplete. And sometimes people think Christianity is about religiosity. You do some things and you do okay and then God thinks you're okay. That's absolutely not true. 
And what we have to understand is that we come to God by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. But as we come to him, then we're told that we're to ask to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, so that we walk not according to the flesh, but the Spirit that dwells within us. And then the Holy Spirit will bring to the mind the teachings of Jesus Christ. He will illuminate some of these things, and he'll make them known to us. Things that we formerly didn't understand will become apparent, and we'll begin to understand them. And he will guide, and he will lead, he will convict, and he will comfort. We can't be the people of God without the person of the Holy Spirit really residing in our hearts. Amen? See, what happens, I think, too much in Christianity is there's a form of godliness. There's this academic pursuit. There's some religiosity. But we're denying the power. And the power is the person of the Holy Spirit living in us and transforming us from the inside out. It's so important. And if you notice here in Acts chapter 1, who's talked about a lot? The person of the Holy Spirit. He's absolutely paramount to the Christian experience. In fact, I dare say that the book of Acts is all about the Holy Spirit in power coming on the church and anointing her with his presence. Think about this. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost and these disciples, they go crazy witnessing of Christ already in tongues that they formerly didn't know. And then Peter, the denier, who's known as denying Christ three times, he preaches. How many are saved? 3,000 he denied Jesus three times. Now he preaches and 3,000 are saved. What changed? The Holy Spirit, man. The Holy Spirit came on him, power and might. And all of a sudden, it, there was an unction to his preaching. It wasn't just words. It was spirit-infused preaching that changed lives. Then we got Peter and John. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And you're going to know it. Everybody, if you've been in church, you know this story. So Peter and John are walking along. They're going to the temple. It's the time of prayer. And they happen upon a man who's crippled. And the man says to them, you know, would you give me something here? And I love, I love Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And if you've been in church, you know, then the kids go, and he went jumping and praising, right? Did you all sing that when you were little? Wow, I'm sorry. You missed out on something pretty important there. But they went along jumping and walk and, and, and praising God. What happened? What happened? The Holy Spirit. He came down in power and he endued Peter with power from on high. Um, and you know what? I pray frequently now for us as church. I'd say, Holy Spirit, come upon Grace Point. Do in our days what you done in days gone by. Come upon Jesus' people and just anoint them with power and fill them with your presence and your awareness so that we don't have a form of godliness but we have that denies its power but that we're people walking powerfully in our God being transformed day by day into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, on to one last now. What do we do when we don't know what to do? And I think this is really insightful. Live in light of the return of Jesus. Live in light of the return of Jesus. Now, I realize those of us who have been around Christianity for quite a while, (laughs) 
You get used to the resurrection story, right? You get used to this idea that Jesus ascended and it becomes so familiar that it loses some of its, uh, some of its wallop. But listen to 1 Corinthians. I, I, I read such words and it sobers me up and takes me to the primacy of resurrection once again. Listen to this. I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, and Christ has, been, has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Can I speak my heart? So much of modern church doesn't believe in the resurrection anymore, and that's why God's leaving them. Just there I said it. They're to be pitied. If only for this life you're living, you're to be pitied. We are resurrection people. Amen? And we believe he's returning again. It's, it's essential. It's priority to our faith in Christ. When we lose that central priority of resurrection, we're a pitied group. Then we're just another motivational group trying to do better in this life of, uh, full of chaos and, and darkness. And that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be longing for and looking for and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Our Acts reading that we read from Acts chapter 1 earlier ended with the promise of Jesus coming back the same way he ascended. Do you like to look at the clouds ever? I do that. That's something I yeah. When I was a little kid, especially, I'd have to, I had to walk to school and back uh, my, my, my sixth grade year, mainly because I got in trouble with the bus driver and he kicked me off the bus. But <laughs> so I had a lot of uh, walk time. It was about a mile, mile and a half to school. And frequently I lay in an oak grove on my back and just stare at the sky. You know, I'm, I, it's a lazy Minnesota afternoon and the wind would be blowing and it was just beautiful. And I would look at the clouds and just kind of daydream. Anybody do that? You know, and days gone by, right? Well, here's what I want to encourage you. Start looking at the clouds and thinking, come Lord Jesus, come. The same way you went, come back. And begin to be one who expects his return and longs for his return. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies on his first arrival here. And now he's predicted he's going to come again and we can stand in faith, trusting that he who has begun a good work will bring it to maturity. He'll bring it to completion. He'll be faithful to fulfill the promises of his return. In fact, I want to read a couple of those to you. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 17 says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. I love this scripture. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Long for the coming and return of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and now we have the coming of the kids. So that's going to... Anyway, I'm, I'm right to the end here. Um, life in Christ is about healthy rhythms, friends. We, we hear a lot about that when it comes to like physical health. Eat right, rest right, exercise right, do all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the big mantra of our culture right now. I want to tell you as a Christ follower, listen, love God's word, be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, observe Sabbath, rest, you're not a machine. Frequently visit those main truths of the scripture, let them renew you. Easter is an opportunity yearly to come back to the centrality of the resurrection and that Christ, as he ascended, will, will descend upon his creation once again and gather us up to be with him. When you look at the clouds, think of that. And I love how the Bible ends. It ends with Jesus uh, and John having this exchange and Jesus promised, I'm coming soon. And John says, amen, come. So I want you to look up the clouds and I want you to have this conclusion. Come, Lord Jesus. In fact, you're going to say that with me, okay? So we're going to, oh, that's just a small, small, they can come in. Just have them come in. Have them come in. That's fine. Because this is going to take a while. Um, So I want you to say this with me out loud. Come, Lord Jesus. Ready? Say that. One, okay, let's do this better. This is 100% my fault. So I'm going to go one, two, three. I didn't say come, Lord Jesus, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. So here's what I'm going to tell you now. I know this feels awkward, but you stare at the clouds sometimes and just say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? And, and, and let that be something that helps you with the now, what do I do? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, so if you're getting baptized this morning, you need to make your way out of the church and meet over here by the side door like you were instructed in baptism class and just prepare yourself uh, for that moment. Um, and, and so what I'm going to do now is just have a moment of prayer and then I'm going to turn it over to the praise team and, uh, and they'll lead us into in the song here. Would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for these words of comfort found in Acts chapter 1 about the what now. So now what do we do when we're faced with some things in life? And I pray that we just, some of these things, whether they be, uh, you know, rest in your resurrection or be aware that you set the agenda or be understanding that we're filled with the person Holy Spirit or that you're going to return again. I pray all these things would be perspective setting uh, kind of truths in our lives, Lord, that would help us to filter whatever we face, Lord, correctly. Just, uh, would you be mighty in God's people today? Jesus, and as we observe and, and witness these baptisms, may it just be a testimony. I'm reminded of the scripture that said they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony of their mouth. And we're going to see some strong testimonies today. Thank you, Lord, for the lives changed and what this moment represents in their lives. May we just participate and wildly support what's happening this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.